0: Stand with us. Sing along. Like a cloud, you're, you're standing, standing with, with us, us now, the Lord. Unveil our eyes. You're the The King of Kings, and you are my everything, and I will adore you. Filled with wonder, all struck wonder. Amen.
1: Amen. Revelation 5, verse 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. When we gather as a church family, we gather to do many things, but chief is to magnify the name of our God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we are glad that you're here today. Will you take a moment and welcome those around you? your seats there we go can you hear me now you may be seated well good morning welcome to Northside baptist church we are so thankful that you are here with us if this is your first time with us and we're delighted to have you uh, we want you to let us know that you're here there's uh, many ways you can do that one um, is you can just scan this little qr code in the bulletin uh, fill out some information about yourself that's one way uh, there's a connection card in the pew there's one available at the welcome desk uh, if, you feel actually, if you actually fill out a connection card, if you'll please give it to, to one of the ladies that will be out there at the welcome desk. We would really appreciate that. Uh, again, welcome. We're so thankful that you're here. Any way that we can pray for you, help you, serve you, uh, please don't hesitate to let us know. Again, thank you uh, for being here. Everybody know what this is, right? Landon, uh, Landon said, man, is it time for that already? Uh, yes. Uh, It is. This is one of my favorite times of the year. So we got some boxes. We only have 50 boxes out there this morning. Because the thing is, these boxes don't have to be back until uh, December when we go uh, serve. And we'll give you more information about when we're going to have the opportunity to go uh, to the actual um, place and be able to pack boxes and look through them. But I'm giving you plenty of time to get a box, um, to pray over those boxes. You don't have to get a box today, but to begin to think about it, pray about it, you can start your shopping Uh, ahead of time you can do all that good stuff. And so I love the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. Most of you are aware of what this is. If you're not, uh, we got a brief promotional video um, to show you this morning so you can begin to think and pray about that. So watch this video. Seeing a child open the boxes for the first time is just, it's incredible. We are so excited. Many of the children received shoe shoebox for the first
0: time in their life.
1: We pray that these boxes will be used to bring a lot of happiness
2: and joy. But more importantly, the gospel to each heart. All these little children around the world.
1: No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: This is what these shoe boxes are all about, to go out and bring a hope of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm just
2: so amazed at what God does each and every year. This is an opportunity to impact the lives of millions of children, just like you've seen. But we need more boxes for next year. Every box is an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you, and God bless each and every one.
1: And it's truly amazing if you've spent some time on their website watching testimonies and videos of of kids, uh, now adults, who've received this box. And what I love the most about this, and they said it at least three or four times in the video, Is the hope of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. This isn't just to put toys in kids' hands. Uh, It's part part of the reason for that, because these kids don't get anything, uh, but it's also to tell them about Jesus Christ. So if you've never been part of this ministry, you'll hear a lot more about it in the next couple months, uh, but we would love for you to participate in that. So let me pray, uh, and then we're going to continue worshiping together this morning by singing Faith is the Victory. Let's pray. Father, everyone in this room has received many, many, many gifts. Lord, we we have more things and possessions, Lord, than we could probably ever really want. Most of all what we have here in America is access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that's been on my heart this week that there are places all around the world who have little to no access of the hope of Jesus. They have never heard his name. And I heard Jesus loves me when I was a baby. So, God, these boxes is one way. This ministry is one way for us to be able to get into countries where there is little to no access to the gospel. To be able to to give gifts to boys and girls, Lord, it will will make their day their year. But Father, from that, there is follow-up. There is discipleship that begins to take place as boys and girls come to faith in Christ. And not only a boy and a girl, but a family in a village and, God, maybe, Lord willing, a country. A revival takes place. A great awakening takes place all through the generosity of men and women who take the time to pray over a box to fill a box and to send that box and so Lord, we in advance already lord want to pray for every boy and girl who will receive a box lord that they may come to know jesus christ god that one day when we gather around the throne of jesus and we sing worthy is the lamb that there will be boys and girls from every tribe tongue language who came to christ through an Operation Christmas Child Shoebox. And we will spend all eternity with them, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, this is an incredible ministry. uh, And may we just be excited about this and support this uh, for Your glory and Your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Let's stand together.
2: Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian rogers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory it's a victory, oh, glorious victory, that overcomes the world. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph rod. By faith they like a whirlwind's breath, sweep on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still a shining seal. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. To him that overcomes the foe, white raiment shall be given before the
1: Goodness, that was good. Thank you, choir. It's one of my favorite hymns. So thankful to uh, Horatio Spafford for years ago writing down those words that came out of much grief in his life, but uh, it shows that even in those difficult times, It's still well with our soul. If you have a copy of God's Word, will you take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 2? In just a moment, I'll have you stand. We're going to read verses 11, 12, and 13. Just a reminder, as we sing this next song, uh, our children are going to be able to make their way out for children's church. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? Beginning in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Continue our study through the book of Ephesians entitled In Christ. We have just finished um, verses 1 through 10, foundational verses when we talk about salvation. Right? So, when we think about salvation, we think about this vertical dimension that we were, as Paul says dead in our sins and trespasses. We were enslaved to the world, to Satan, to the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. But verse 4 says, but God. Right? There's this but God. And then he goes on to talk about God being rich in mercy and grace and love and kindness and and how He has made us alive in Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We've been seated with Christ. In the last week, we talked about how we are saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, how we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So we see there is this vertical relationship. But we're also going to begin to see, starting in verse 11, is that there is a horizontal relationship. So verses 11 through 22 is a foundational text for understanding the life of the church so not only through Christ are we made right with God but we're also made right reconciled with one another we have this relationship with one another let me just give you uh, a sneak peek of it because we're not going to really get into verse 14 today we'll do that in a couple weeks uh, but if you look at chapter 1 verse 10 we talked about this it's probably like a, been a month and a half ago now but verse 10 says as a plan For the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That what God is doing is He's going to unite all things in Christ. And so then we look forward a little bit to chapter 3. Sneak peek going forward. Verse 6. This mystery, again, this mystery is something that was hidden and now revealed. This mystery is that the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers in authority in the heavenly places. So here's the deal. God is going to bring a people together, and it's through the church That the wisdom of God is made known. And part of the wisdom of God is to bring together a people who are very different, but in Christ we are united. So you look at the world around us and what do you see? You see divisions everywhere. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Divisions are everywhere. Even our sports teams, right? We're divided over those. Division everywhere. But in the church... When people, the lost world, come into the church, they ought to see a glimpse of what the future is going to look like. Of this unity that only Christ can bring. Of the people of God, who are very different from one another, but in Christ we are united. And so Paul, speaking about this unity that Christ is going to bring, recognizes there's a problem. Because in this church he's writing to, as there were in every church that was formed in this time, you had Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who hated one another. They hated, they despised one another. And now, in the church, they're brought together. And so Paul, beginning in verse 14, is going to talk about this unity That in Christ we are united, we are not divided. But before he gets there... He kind of does a recap in a little bit, in, in, in one sense, kind of going back to, to chapter, verse 4 of chapter 2 and just kind of reminding us of who we are. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning, and then in a couple of weeks we're going to get into what God has done in the church. But before we can understand what God's doing in the church, we have to understand what God has done in each of our lives. And so i want to give you three words. There's not going to be any notes on the screen. Really simple, easy for you to follow along this morning. Word number one is remember. Remember, word number two is alienated. Word number three is reconciled. Remember, alienated, and reconciled. So I just gave you the sermon right there. So if you want to fall asleep now, you can go ahead. Um, Hopefully you won't. Hopefully you won't. You'll you'll pay attention. Here's word number one, remember. Remember. Look at verse 11, because this is really, really important and fascinating to me. Therefore, remember. There are in... Now, again, you got to understand, in in our English Bible, we have chapters and verses. They didn't have that in the original manuscripts. So we have six chapters in our English translation. In our text, there are, and in the Greek as well, there are over 30 verbs, action words, that appear in the imperative form. You say, what is the imperative form? It's a command. A command. So Paul is commanding us to do something. Every single one of those imperative verbs comes in chapters 4, 5, and 6, except for one. The only one, the only imperative, the only time Paul is telling us to do something before we come to chapter 4 is right here in our text this morning when he says, remember. This is not a suggestion, this is a command. He is commanding us, God is commanding us to remember, to not forget. So what are they to remember? Well, what they're really supposed to remember is beginning in verse 12, but but he says something here that we need to pay attention to. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. So again, the church, Gentiles and Jews, he's now speaking directly to the Gentiles. So you can imagine imagine his letters being read because they're not reading it themselves, it's being read to them, and they come to, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. The Gentiles probably all sat up a little straighter. All right, he's speaking to us. Remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So you had Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And the Jews called the non-Jews the uncircumcised. This would have been a derogatory term. Again, they didn't like each other. So they would refer to them, oh, he's the uncircumcised, right? I'm the circumcised. And so what is all of this referring to? Well, if you have your Bibles, go back to Genesis 17. I'm not going to get into it in great detail, but I do want to touch on it. Genesis 17, verse 7. This is what God says to Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. So God is saying, listen, Abraham, I'm making a promise, a covenant to you and your descendants. I will be your God. You will be my people. And it continues, verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. And this was the sign of the covenant. This was the sign that you belong to God and to Israel. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Verse 14, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So there was this sign that you belong to God, and it was you were circumcised as a male. And here's the problem. These Jewish males took this, and it led them to a place of pride. We belong, you Gentiles don't. We are the people of God. We are superior to you. So Koken, in his commentary, writes this, Unfortunately, this sign of circumcision had become for Jews a source of improper pride in themselves and scorn towards Gentiles despite the repeated challenges of the prophets to remember that God intended the external ceremony... To be accompanied by an interior circumcision of the heart and being cut off from sin and for Gentiles to be welcomed into God's kingdom. See, circumcision had its place. It set them apart. But as you continue to read the Old Testament and into the New Testament, circumcision ultimately was going to be a matter of the heart. Not just some external thing you did to the flesh. And so the Jews, forgetting this, it leads them to a place of pride. I read somewhere this week, It's not about skin. It's about the heart. We talk about racism today, and we say it's not about the color of somebody's skin. It's about the heart. That racism ultimately is a heart issue. But when this person said it, he was talking about circumcision. Because this was an external thing that was done to them. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. It was made in the flesh by hands. In other words, this division is man-made. Yes, Israel was to be set apart, but they had a purpose, which was to reach the nations. They were to be set apart to reach the nations. They, forgetting that second part to reach the nations, they just became a people set apart, filled with pride, looking down at other people because they were circumcised and they weren't. And it came all about this man-made division. And So, here's what you have. You have a dividing wall of hostility. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. And what Christ does is he tears that wall down. He tears it down. He says, in Christ we are now one. We're not going to make some external thing the central issue. It's going to become about Christ and the heart. You see, God had blessed Israel. And Israel was to be a blessing to the nations. This was always God's plan. It wasn't only going to be about Israel. Yes, they were the special people of God, but they were to be a blessing to the nations, and they failed to do it. And so Paul, speaking to the Gentiles now, is calling them to remember. Why? Because if we don't remember, we forget. So I'm going to call you to remember three things this morning. I'm going to to tell you why you need to remember. Number one is because in remembering remembering what Christ has done for you, Ephesians 2, 1-10 decreases the pride in your life we talked about pride last sunday morning on wednesday night but we gathered it was a good crowd in here 20 25 30 people and i asked this question what's one area in your life where you see pride and i asked people to be vulnerable be open be honest we did it as it, we weren't breaking up in groups it was out loud where do you see pride and one after another begin to talk about where they see pride in their life See, I was calling them, one, to remember that there is pride in them, but also to be honest about it, to say, look, this is what's in my life. Because if we don't remember, then we become filled with pride, forgetting what Christ has done for us. And then we begin to think that our salvation is really based on us. And so we need to remember. Remember, remember what Christ has done for you. So what has Christ done for you? Well, this is where Paul is going to just kind of recap a little bit, but he's also going to add in some things. And so we look at verse 12. Here's the second word, alienated. Remember, again, he's speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to those who did not grow up Jewish, were not Jewish, didn't have this background. Remember that you were at that time, and he mentions five things, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Like what in the world is Paul saying here? Well, he says, first of all, remember that you were at that time previously separated from Christ. What does he mean? Well, if you grew up a Gentile, you did not grow up hearing about the Messiah. That was the Jewish families. They knew there was a Messiah. They knew the Christ, the anointed one, was going to come. And so if you grew up a Gentile, you were separated from that. You didn't know about this Messiah. You had not heard about this Messiah. But then he says they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Israel was a commonwealth. It was a nation under God. They were a theocracy. They were a covenant people. Israel had a privileged position in the saving plan of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 9. Because Paul's clear. Romans chapter 9, 4 through 5, just talking about the, the role that they had in God's saving plan. The privileged role that they had. It says this, they are Israelites. And to them, to the Israelites belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So if you grew up a Gentile, you were cut off from all of that. You didn't have access to any of that. Therefore, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. He then goes on to say you are strangers to the covenants of promise. Israel had a relationship with God. God was their God. Israel was their people. He would made a covenant with them. He had promised to be their God, and they would be his people. But the other component to that is they were the people. And so if you were part of the Jewish family, you were part of the people of God too. And if you were a Gentile, you were isolated and cut off from the people of God. And he's reminding them of who they were. And, And for us, let's just be honest... It's really, really hard for me to put myself in the position of these Gentiles right here. Because I didn't grow up in this day and age when when the Jews looked down upon me for being a Gentile. It's hard for me to put myself in those shoes. But these next two things, I can relate to. Because then he says this, having no hope. The Gentiles had no hope. They were unaware of God's plan to eventually include them into the people of God. They had no hope. Israel was always looking forward to something. Looking forward to being delivered from Egypt and going to the promised land or being delivered the second time and going back to the promised land, looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to a king. They always had hope. They always had something they were looking to, but not Gentiles. And then it says they were without God. Tony Merida in his commentary writes, to be uncircumcised was to be separated from God. If you were an uncircumcised male, you were cut off from God. You were without God. So think about what he's saying to these Gentiles. He is saying to them at one time you were without God and you were without hope. No God inno, no God no inno hope. They were without God. Now say it back to us today. Church, we are surrounded by people who are without God and without hope. And maybe you're one of them. This morning, maybe you do not have God because you don't have Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You are apart from God and therefore you are apart from hope. So, he's calling the Gentiles to remember who they were. We've talked about that a lot the last couple weeks, so here's what I want to do. I want us to remember this morning because in remembering who we were... When we were lost, increases our compassion for the lost because we remember what it was like to be lost. Remember what it was like in your life to be without God and without hope. Because apart from Christ, that's who we are. We are hopeless, we are without God, and we forget what that's like. Let's just be honest. If you're like me, you grew up in America, you were saturated with the gospel. Now, maybe you didn't hear that word a lot, but you were saturated with the Word of God. My parents sang Jesus loves me from an early age. I knew who Jesus was. That is not the case for millions and millions of people around this world. Never more eye-opening to me than when I went to Japan. And I probably shared this. First or second day we were there, I met an 18-year-old. He was 22, 23 at that time. His name was Hideki. Hideki, when he turned 18, moved from Japan to Texas to attend, I believe, or Oklahoma. It was either University of Texas or Oklahoma. It was one of those two. But he came here to go to college. And for the first time, at the age of 18, he heard the name Jesus. For the first time. I had heard the name of Jesus thousands and thousands of times, saturated with the gospel. And he had never heard his name. These kids who are going to receive shoeboxes will have never heard the name of Jesus. They are without God. They are without hope. And if we remember what it was like to be lost and hopeless, it ought to remind us that they need the very hope that we have. So you have a, a woman who just received word that her husband has cheated on her. She's having to walk through this grief without God and therefore without hope. How does she do it? You have a a father who's struggling with a wayward, rebellious son who has just cut off all contact and he is without God and he has no hope. How does he ever walk through that? I mean, It's hard to walk through that as a follower of Christ, but how does someone who has no hope do that? You have someone who has a stressful job or they just lost their job. How am I going to be able to provide for my family? And they look around at themselves and they have no hope because they don't have Christ in their life. Or maybe you're sitting in that doctor's office when that doctor says you have cancer. And there you sit without Christ, therefore you are without God, and you have no hope. Or you get the phone call that your teenage daughter has just been in a horrific car accident. And you're on your way to the hospital and you're driving, and there is no God for you to pray to because you don't believe in a God, because you don't have Christ, and you have no hope. Or there you are at the casket of a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a grandparent, tears streaming down your face, and you are hopeless. Because you don't have Christ. Now listen, every circumstance I just explained, as a believer in Christ, it still is going to rock your world. It's going to shake you. I had somebody tell me just a little bit ago that they just experienced the hardest thing they've ever experienced in their life. But they have Christ. They have hope, even though it's horrible and it's hard, they still have something to cling to. But what we're talking about are men and women who have no hope because they don't know Christ. If all we have is the stuff of this world, then we have nothing that will last. Nothing that will last. In church, we are surrounded by people who have nothing that will last. Nothing. Nothing. That when everything comes crumbling down and they lose it all, they have nothing left. Because they don't have Christ. What do they need? They need hope. They need someone who has experienced the hope and the grace and the mercy of Christ to open their mouth and say, I have hope. I'm here for you. You can cry on my shoulder. I'm right here. They need somebody to point them to the hope that is Jesus. You see, God had blessed Israel But Israel was always to be a blessing to the nations, but yet they never fulfilled their calling. John MacArthur writes Israel accepted their divine blessings, but not their divine mission, which was to be a light to the Gentile nations. And here we are in 2021, and we are the church of Jesus Christ. And we have hope, we also have blessings. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Paul's already talked about that. Chapter 1, 3 through 14. We have these blessings, but we also have a divine mandate. Which is to go to the ends of the earth. Why does packing shoeboxes matter? Because they need the hope of Jesus. And you and I can't all get there. But a shoebox can tell them about the name of Jesus. So church, here's a question for us. Are we going to fulfill our mandate? Are we going to be faithful to the Great Commission? We're not going to be faithful if we fail to remember what it was like to be lost. Because let's be real, man, it's been 30 years since I was lost. 30 years, and I was only 10 years old, and I knew I needed a Savior, but I hadn't been through a, a big ordeal in my life. 30 years of walking with Jesus, it's easy to forget what that was like. And then it's easy to forget the urgency that is needed right now to tell other people about Jesus. So who do you know in your life who was without God and without hope? And are you just going to tell them about the hope that is Jesus Christ? And here's the third word, and it is reconciled. Verse 13, But now, it sounds very similar to verse 4, but God, but now, right? So, so Paul's pointing something out. They, they once, this is how they lived. They were separated, alienated. They were without God and without hope, but now, Martin Lloyd-Jones asked, is there a but God in your life? Is there a but God in your life? Notice verse 13, before he gets to the horizontal dimension, he focuses on the vertical dimension one more time. But now, in Christ Jesus, it's in Christ, you are who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's break that down. But now, in Christ Jesus, so it's in Christ, you who were once far off. That was every single one of us apart from Christ. We were far away from God. And none of us were seeking after Him. We were far away. But Paul says, but now. You who were once far off have been brought. That's a verb, have been brought. It appears in the passive, meaning you haven't done it. God has brought you near. It's in the passive. We didn't do it. We were passive. God brings us near. How? By the blood of Christ. So that language, to be brought near, that's Old Testament language. Deuteronomy 4, seven. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? Isaiah 57, 19, Peace, peace to the far, and the near, says the Lord. See, Israel believed they were near to God. But here's what Paul's saying now Gentiles in Christ have also been brought near to God. That's good news, church. You know why? Because I don't think most of us are Jews. We're Gentiles. And Paul is saying we, as pagans, Gentiles, ethnos, as, as wicked people, nations, we can be brought near to Christ. How? By the blood. Not by works, not by deeds, but by the blood of Christ. Now, I mentioned earlier that these verses are foundational verses. One of the most, one of the most key texts in all the scripture that deals with the nature of the church. And what's at the center of it? It's the blood of Christ. At the center of the church, at the center of our salvation, is Jesus Christ and is shedding blood for us. You see, Jews believed that in order for a Gentile to be saved, he had to become a proselyte, right? He had, to, he had to be circumcised and he had to keep the law. That's how you were saved. Keep the law and be circumcised. Now, when you're eight days old, okay, circumcision is not too bad. But if you're coming to Christ, or you're coming to to, to be saved at 40, I don't know how many people are going to line up for circumcision at that moment. But that's how you were saved. Keep the law, be circumcised. And what does Paul say? No, 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 no. That's never how we really got to God. Because the Old Testament is always pointing us to Christ. They were shadows and types pointing. And the way we come to faith in God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus we have been saved, we have been changed, we have been adopted, we have been forgiven, we have been delivered, we have been transformed. Remembering, remembering who we were and what God has done for us in Christ increases our love for Christ. So remembering decreases right the pride in our life. Remembering ought to increase the compassion we have towards lost people because we remember what it was like to be lost. And remembering who we were far off, but now we are near to God through Christ, increases our love for Christ. I've been reading a book called DNA of a Christ Follower. Uh, in, in one of the chapters that I was reading this week, he tells this story. It, it, it fascinated me. It blew me away. It took place in 1868. 1868. There's an emperor by the name of Theodore III of Ethiopia. He held a group of 53 Europeans captive. 53 Europeans were held captive. 30 adults, 23 children, including some missionaries. He held them captive in a remote 9,000-foot-high bastion deep in the interior. Among these 53 was a British council, uh, a special diplomatic emissary. So there were some people that were important. All these people mattered, but particularly there were some diplomatic people in there. By letter, Queen Victoria pleaded in vain with Theodore to release them. Release the 53 captives, but he refused. Finally, the government ordered a full-scale military expedition from India to march into Ethiopia. Not to conquer the country, not to stay there, not to make it a British colony, but simply to to, to deliver these 53 people and and get them out. So here's what they did for 53 people. The invasion force included 32,000 men to rescue 53 people. Heavy artillery, 44 elephants to carry the big guns. Provisions included 50,000 tons of beef and pork. 30,000 gallons of rum. I thought about taking that part out, but it's part of the story. I mean, I don't know. Engineers, listen, to rescue 53 people, engineers built landing piers, water treatment plants, a railroad, telegraph line to the interior, plus many bridges. All of that to fight one battle, to rescue 53 people. Now, if you're one of those 53, you probably were thankful for all of that money that was spent. Others probably thought, what a waste of money just to rescue 53 people. I said, Pastor, why do you share that story? Because I was blown away of all that they did to rescue 53 people. That expedition was massive. In America, we just send like four people in there, right? And They'll just rescue them. They did all of this to rescue 53 people. And I began to think, how much greater was God's rescue mission for me? That God would send His only begotten Son into this world to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for my wretched sins, shedding His blood on the third day, raising Him from the dead, all so that He could rescue me. And save me from my sins. You see, God sent Jesus to die in my place for my sins. Jesus took my punishment and bore God's wrath for my sin so that I could be forgiven. Oh, church, how we need to be constantly reminded of this truth. We never move beyond but God and but now. So the question for you this morning is simple. Do you have a but God or a but now moment in your life? Have you experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins and taken hold of the name of Jesus, throwing yourself upon Him and saying, Jesus Christ, save a sinner like me. If you've never done that, that's the challenge to you this morning. That's the invitation. Will you give your life to Jesus Christ? And if you've already given your life to Jesus, here's the invitation. Remember. Remember. Remember that at one time you were far off, but by God's grace and the shedding of His Son's blood, you have been brought near. Don't ever lose the awe and the wonder of that. Don't ever get to a place that when you hear a choir sing, it is well, that it does nothing for you. That it doesn't move you in any way as a believer to praise God that in the midst of the darkest, deepest places we could ever go, we can still say, it is well because of Jesus. And if you've gotten to that place, when the choir sang that song, it didn't do much for you, maybe you just need to take a moment and say, God, forgive me. And help me to remember who I was and who I am now and restore that joy of my salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, Lord, the message this morning is simple. It really boils down to will we remember. And God, it was so important that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write it. Because this isn't Paul just saying remember, God. This is you saying remember. Remember, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember those of you who once were not part of the people of God. Remember what that was like, how you were far away and you have been brought near. So God, this morning, as we sing, just remind us, help us to remember of how lost and wretched we once were, but how in Christ we have been brought near. And Father, as we remember that, it will springboard us going forward in a couple of weeks. To be reminded, God, of what you have now done in bringing lost people who were far away from you and how you have brought us now near into the body of Christ. And how all of these divisions that we see in in the church are simply there because we fail to remember often, God, of what you have done for us. They're man-made divisions. What's going on in the world, it's man-made divisions trying to tear us apart trying to divide us, but in Christ we are united, and apart from Christ we are hopeless and without God. So Father, speak to us now as we respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The the altar is open as always. I'm here at the front. If you need to come and pray or or just, just share something with me, I'm available. Let's sing together as you stand.
2: Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You've no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. Do the tears flow down your treaks unburdened? Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. Have you sins that two men's eyes are hidden? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known you've no other such a friend or brother, tell it to Jesus alone. Do you fear the gathering clouds of sorrow? Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. Are you anxious? What shall be tomorrow? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You've no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus
0: alone.
1: Thank you, brother. All right, if you all will be seated for just a moment. Got a couple announcements. Chris is going to come and uh, make an announcement about Upward soccer so chris if you'll come
4: of
3: our soccer season uh things have gone well got 140 kids and their parents out there every week Uh, we had a great time Had a great weather the lord's really blessed with that we've been faithful to share the gospel at halftime and the coaches in their in their devotions uh like last season we would love to be able to give a good quality bible to every kid who's who's out there Um, So if you are interested in doing that, there's 140 kids, so Bibles come in sets of 12. So we would need 12 12 cases of Bibles. Um, If you'd be willing to sponsor a case for 200 or half a case for 100, um, just uh, write a check and put a designation in the box out there for upward Bibles or if you envelope right on there, stick in the um, envelope out there. I got a lot of positive responses uh, last football season from uh, parents and players who had gotten their, their various Bibles and, uh, that they, they were a real blessing to them. So for the K4 through second, we would get a, um, a graphic novel action Bible. Then third through six, they would get an ESV student Bible. So again, it's a, it's a great ministry. It's, you know, there's a, it's really not the same crowd out there for soccer that there is for football. And so it's a, it's a really disparate, disparate group. So, um, and getting the gospel to our community you know in Acts 1 you know, there, you'd be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the other most parts of the earth this is our Jerusalem this is the people we're trying to reach in our immediate area so if you're interested in doing that want to get in on that blessing just uh, just, begin to, just designate your, your offering um, to Upward Bibles thank you
1: thank you Chris Upward's going really really well man just overwhelmed by the response of people for 140 uh, it's been amazing the most kids we've had uh, to our knowledge at doing this. So it's, been, so it's been awesome. One other announcement. So this Wednesday, it's in the bulletin. Just look over it. Uh, we're going to do our, our men's Bible study and then our women's Bible study. Uh, so you'll just go straight to whatever room it tells you at 6 o'clock. Ladies, you also have, is it this Tuesday you all are starting at? This Tuesday, 7 o'clock. I don't have the bulletin in front of me. 7 o'clock, is that right, Ms. Robin? At Deanna's house. Uh, Dana as well, as well. or Those two ladies are heading that up. And so you have a couple different options, ladies. Tuesday night at 7 at uh, the Runyon's home or Wednesday here at 6 o'clock. I encourage you to come, especially if you're trying to build relationships with other men or women in this church. That's where you do it at, uh, in a small group setting like that. So come uh, be a part of of that. If you'll stand, uh, we're going to close with a word of prayer. Mike Edson is the deacon of the week, and so he's going to come and close us with prayer. Don't forget, we got all our evening activities tonight, so check out the bulletin for that. Come on, brother.
4: Heavenly Father, we thank you, first of all, for such a good servant in Aaron that uh, brings brings your word so clearly to us each and every time we meet. We just thank you for him and his family. Thank you for those who have joined us today. It's such a privilege that we don't need to take lightly to have gatherings like this each and every week come to worship to fellowship to give praise and thanksgiving for all that you you provide and now Lord I'm going to close with a a benediction that I learned when I was in uh, the youth department at the Methodist church and this comes out of the Old Testament it's just a benediction Lord now may the Lord bless you and keep you May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For we ask all these things until we meet again. Amen.